Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. Our Sunday live stream starts at 10 a.m. at cascadevineyard.org stream or on Facebook at Cascade Vineyard Church. Thanks for tuning in. Long, long ago in a galaxy far away, in the 60s and 70s, when I was growing up, yeah, long before, uh, before Sean White, Tony Hawk, before X Games, yeah, before uh, Steve-O and Johnny Knoxville, uh, before any of that, there was a guy named Evil Knievel. Anybody remember Evil Knievel? Yeah. We'll talk about it. So Evil Knievel, his story is, and this is probably maybe part you didn't know, he worked, uh, he was a salesman at a motorcycle dealership, and on the weekends, he would go out in the parking lot and set up cones and kind of cordon off part of the parking lot of their dealership, and he would do stunts out there to attract customers. So it started out in the beginning, he would do wheelies and just ride wheelies across the parking lot. People like that. And it, it, it worked. It started, people started coming to see him. It was helping the dealership. So then he got a little more creative, a little more daring, and he set up some jump ramps and he would do little jumps and people liked it. It was more and more people were coming. So he was kind of entrepreneurial, kind, kind of, you know, visionary guy. So he went out and got some corporate sponsors and started doing bigger stunts and bigger jumps. And he became known as kind of this daredevil uh, motorcycle jump guy. And he did a number of things. Um, at one point, he, he jumped over 14 Greyhound buses, not lengthwise, but the, the widthwise, lined up together. That was successful. Uh, he He attempted to jump over the fountain at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas, unsuccessful, crashed on that one, didn't, didn't land the jump, didn't stick the jump, the landing, uh, several other times. At one point, he publicized that he was going to jump the Grand Canyon. Uh, it, there's apparently a section of the Grand Canyon that's not gigantic, but as it would be, the Grand Canyon is a national park, and so the U.S. government said, no, you cannot jump the Grand Canyon. Bureaucracy, right? I mean, gosh. Uh, but what he did do is he found a part of the Snake River Canyon that was actually on private property and contracted with the owner to jump over part of that. So uh, the, the point of that story is this. If you would go to the slide, somebody asked, I don't know the number of bones, somewhere in excess of 40 or 50. This is the quote from Evil Knievel. I've broken almost every bone in my body some numerous times, but you can only break your head once. So he was one of his sponsors was Bell Helmets. He was a big advocate of wearing your helmet. 
because he said, you break your arm, you break your leg. He broke his back a couple times, always recovered. You only break your head once. So wear your helmet. Our topic today, as it would be, is the helmet of salvation. And yeah, keeping with our theme, I thought, you know, there's a, a dude, he's one of the soul riders. He's, uh, he's, he's got soul and he's got his helmet. All right, so uh, let's, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll, uh, we'll look, talk about the helmet of salvation. Thanks, Lord, for today and for uh, just the goodness we have in you, opportunity to dig into your word a little bit this morning and just uh, worship you, be in your presence, be together. We love just being together. Thanks for this group and uh, just what you're doing in our midst. Your name we pray. Amen. So, so um, t- today is a little, a little bit different. I want to do something a little different today than I normally do. Um, last week I got mocked for crying repeatedly. Me. Um, this morning though, is not so much of a heart message. It's more of a head message. I want to appeal to our minds a little bit. Um, I'm not a fan, frankly, of something called apologetics. Apologetics is sort of the study of Christianity, scripture, faith, the Bible, and sort of proving that that's true through evidence. And when I was growing up again in the 60s and 70s, apologetics was a big deal. It's not so much anymore. I've never been a fan because I always feel it's an issue of faith, right? You believe or you don't, and I don't need a bunch of evidence. That said, this morning, I thought we would do uh, a little bit of an apologetic message, kind of fun, just for fun, really talk about evidence. Reason being, of course, historically, uh, probably more so in the last uh, century, through the 1900s and, and, and forward, there are any number of people that profess to be Christians, uh, but also deny the deity of Jesus. So people like uh, John Dominic Cross and others, he's a Catholic priest. And they'll say, like, Jesus is a good guy. He was a smart teacher. He was a good leader. He was a spiritual person. Uh, all of those things. But that he wasn't God. And so the, 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 what I want to talk about this morning is the resurrection of Jesus. Because you talk about our salvation, what we terms, you know, consider salvation, our faith really rests in that, in the resurrection. If Jesus was resurrected, then it, it, it's, it's all legit. If he wasn't, then those guys are, are probably right. So that's our focus this morning. Like I said, it's a little different take, but kind of might be fun. First Corinthians 15, if you would, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born... I love it that Paul calls himself abnormal. Uh, But he's referring to coming in late to the game. He wasn't part of the original group. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins then those who, who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul indicates clearly to us that the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. And without it, that really the whole thing is, is of no use. So a few things. Um, first is, of course, uh, the number of witnesses to this and their proximity to the event. In, in any legal proceeding, witnesses are the key, right? You can have tons and tons of what they call circumstantial evidence. This leads to that. This leads to that. But ultimately, the most important thing to prove something happened or didn't happen is eyewitnesses. And you really only need to watch probably one or two episodes of Law & Order to figure that out. Because it, you, you, it's just obviously the way it is. Um, and again, it, most legal proceedings of you know courtroom dramas, uh, you might you have one, two, maybe three witnesses. Uh, that's it. Um, and and if so, by contrast, if we look at other historical events, uh, th- there are other historical events that have far fewer witnesses. So, for example. Uh, Socrates is a philosopher. Nobody doubts. Nobody ever said, well, there was really no such person as Socrates. Socrates, we, we know his life. We know his death. He died by drinking hemlock. I don't know what that is exactly, but I'm going to recommend we don't drink it. Uh, it's a drink? It's a tree, but why would you drink a tree? Did somebody poison him? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We're having this conversation over here. My point is that almost everything we know about Socrates comes from one of his students, a guy named Plato. Of course, we all know who Plato is. Plato was a student of Socrates, and 20 to 30 years after Socrates' death, he wrote about his life. And so virtually everything we have comes from that one source. So one source as opposed to many. Um, Alexander the Great, famous historical person, movies made about his life, bad dude, megalomaniac, uh, you know, virtually all the information we have on him comes from one source. There was a historian named Arian, and, and Arian uh, wrote about Alexander the Great. He wrote about Alexander the Great several hundred years later. So all of the history of him, the stories of him were passed down, uh, probably some written, some verbally, until... Arian documented it all, but we take all that as gospel in the, in the sense we believe it. It's true. Alexander the Great was a real person based on the testimony pretty much of one guy. So if you 
look at the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. There are a number of different sources, five primary sources biblically. The four Gospels and Paul would be our main sources. Peter mentioned here, uh, the, the, the writings of Peter would be a sixth. And then there are what we would call extra biblical sources as well. One of the most well-known and credible Jewish Roman historians is a guy named Josephus. Uh, Josephus was just that. He was a historian who documented the, the first century and what was happening. I have a copy of his writings. It's, it's, it's fascinating, really. Uh, but he talks about Jesus in his writings and, and mentions who Jesus was and the, some of the things he did. So again, all of those sources were put to, put to paper. They were written not centuries after the fact, but within a generation. So the Gospels, the dates of the Gospels are a little rough to nail down. 15 to 20 years, possibly. 30 to 40, pretty much at the outset. period of time passed before those things were committed to, to print. Paul writes in the passage we just read in Corinthians, what I received, I passed on. So that introduction is a a technical rabbinic term. So he's writing there as a rabbi documenting events. And that's, that's the same formula rabbis would have used in documenting other things. So he's really writing uh, a, a historical document for the sake of believers at that point. That's his whole purpose. Paul, of course, we know... Uh, was not a Christian. He talks about that. He's the least of the apostles because he was persecuting people of faith. Uh, after his encounter with the Holy Spirit, he met with the disciples, the original disciples that were with Jesus, for 15 days, during which time they, you know, opened up and, you know, he was changing his mind. He's converting. He's switching over. And they're downloading into him all this, all this information. So during that 15-day period, which came just three years after the resurrection of Jesus, in terms of historical evidence, pretty unprecedented to have that close of proximity to, to, a, to a, an event. Uh, he names any number of witnesses, and he invites his readers. Now, again, I don't know how the scripture, the, what they knew when they wrote, how much insight spiritually they had. Paul was writing for people, and you know, the, the scripture was written for people that were alive at the time. I don't know if they knew that we'd be reading it 2,000 years later, but the point being that um, he, he names a lot of people that saw Jesus and invites people, hey, go talk to them. They were there. They saw. They know. Um, there, are, uh, there, there are four gospels, uh, for, you know, and no one in the ancient world doubted the authorship of those. In the last century, again, some question has come up by scholars as to whether the, they were actually written by the people that they're, you know, Mark was written by Mark, Matthew by Matthew. Some people think Peter wrote one or there's another source, but that's only in the last century or so. Really, for the first 17, 1800 years or, or more, no one really questioned that the guys that whose names are on them wrote them. But Either way, they were all written less than 50 years uh, after the events. And, and for the most part, 
by and large, within 20 to 30 years after the event. They also, within the Gospels, there is offered what we call internal evidence. If you go to the next slide, for example, in Mark, Mark writes this, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus. So that's very specific. And again, he's assuming his audience, they might not know Simon, but they probably would know Alexander and Rufus. He was passing by on his way to the country and they forced him to carry the cross. So this is Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus. Mark's talking about that with the assumption that people know who Alexander and Rufus are. Archaeological evidence has uncovered a a headstone, a tomb that is inscribed uh, for Alexander, the son of Simon. So again, there's a lot of historical documentation that these were real people. And when you compare that to, say, Alexander the Great and what Arian wrote about him, there's really more historical evidence to prove the existence, death, and resurrection of Jesus than even the existence of Alexander the Great. Another thing to mention is that the four gospel writers, they all wrote independently of one another. And again, if you watch crime dramas, they didn't sit down in the room together and say, okay, we got to get our story straight. We got we to make sure we all, we're all on the same page. They wrote independently of one another, um, which they do disagree on some, some details. So, so how many angels were there? When exactly and where did the angels appear? How many women went to the tomb? Those little details are, are different in the different gospels. People have used those to discredit the gospel. Oh, see, they don't agree because this guy says one angel, this guy says two angels. Well, the, the reality is this. Any event, I don't care when, where, how it happened. If you have five eyewitnesses, they're going to remember things a little bit differently. They're going to have different perspectives on that event. Uh, the, The question is this, how would they all be so similar? The reality is they differentiate on some of those finer details leading up to the event but they, 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 they all declare the same thing in the end game. Uh, they went to the tomb. They saw angels. Jesus was gone. That, that part is consistent. It's, it's interesting thinking about that. You know, when you think of a historical event and people having different perspectives as eyewitnesses on it. Uh, I, again, I, I have always been kind of a, uh, I, I, the, the whole Kennedy assassination thing has been a big, I've always read about it, studied about it. I wrote reports about it in high school. I've always been a student of that. I lo- Did anybody see the Oliver Stone film on JFK? It's, it's so interesting, I, the whole thing. But here, here's the thing. When you compare <laughs> the differences that the gospel writers had, and then you compare that with something that happened in our life, well, my lifetime, <laughs> um, the Kennedy assassination. So you have, you know, there was one shot. No, there was three shots. No, it came from the roof. No, it came from the street. There was a guy with the umbrella. The guy with the umbrella was over here. No, he was over there. Uh, there, there, there are all there. There are a dozen different stories as to what happened that day, and the whole thing's on video. So it's just bizarre to me. Uh, you know, uh, they say, uh, you know, LBJ was behind it. The CIA was behind it. Bush was behind it. Bush Sr., not Bush Jr. He would never do that. Um, but all these theories, there's all these theories about what happened that day. So much differentiation. And the fact, we, nobody really knows. And it was, you know, 
70 years ago, whatever, however long, 50 years ago. It wasn't 70, it was 50. Uh, yeah, so, so my point is simply that the differences in the four gospel accounts should not cause us to discredit the gospel accounts because the main thrust of them is the same. They all say this, Jesus was crucified. He was put in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. When they came back, uh, they found him gone. They saw some angels uh, and that Jesus appeared later to multiple people, to many different people saw Jesus in the aftermath. He met with his disciples. He spoke with them. He talked to them. A few things that, you know, don't make sense if you were making this story up. One would be that they had a dissenter in their own group. So you think about Thomas doubting, and he's famous now for his doubt. But if you're lying and making this story up, you probably wouldn't put that in that there's a guy that didn't believe it that was one of us, uh, but he, he, he switched over. He became a believer. He said, I want to see him. I want to touch him. And he did see him and touch him. Um, if, if this was a conspiracy on behalf of the disciples, uh, again, the question would be, why would they do that? What would the motivation be to perpetuate the resurrection of Jesus if, in fact, it didn't happen? Um, so, so there's a couple things about that. One is there, there's no motive. I, I mean, they're not going to get rich from telling this story. You typically, when somebody makes something up like that, the motivation, maybe I can, you know, work this, work an angle so that I can make some money off of this. There was no money to be made off of this story. And in fact, the reality is very, very high probability, which proved to be true that you're going to die. If you perpetuate this story, they tell this story, uh, you're, you're going to, you're going to pay the price for that. Um, so there's, there's really no motivation whatsoever for them to perpetuate it. If it wasn't true, uh, the Jewish leaders of the day, they really believed that Christianity was some weird cult that there was just a, these guys were just a little group of, of kind of kooks, wackos, and they kept trying to squelch them. They kept trying to, to silence them and knock them down and get them to be quiet, and they couldn't. They, they couldn't stop it. It kept coming back up and kept coming back up, and every time it would come back up, it would be stronger. Uh, again, you have Acts chapter 2. It, it go back and read that later. Peter's preaching to a group of people. The group of people Peter is preaching to, if you can say that real fast, the group of people Peter's preaching to are by and large people who would not believe him. They would probably doubt him. And yet, based on what he tells them and the witness of the Holy Spirit that day, they, they believe. All of this, when he's preaching, again, 3,000 people chose to follow Jesus that day. Remember, he's talking about a historical event that just happened in their neighborhood. All right. The tomb was there. They could go see it. If they go, I don't know about this. I'm going to check this out on my own. They could go there. Joseph of Arimathea was a real guy. Not only was he a real guy, but he was a credible guy. He was part of the Sanhedrin, which would have been, it's like the Supreme Court. So it's like saying, uh, I don't know, who's the Supreme Court people? Um, Sotomayor, who else? You guys don't even know the Supreme Court is? <laughs> Thomas? 
Anyway, one of those guys, it's like saying one of those guys is a credible witness. Uh, it's not like they said, he's in the tomb of Willy Wonka. No, he's in the tomb of a guy that's on the Supreme Court. He's right here. You can go talk to him. Um, go to uh, John chapter 20 for a second. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, I love that, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So again, Mary Magdalene is one of the primary witnesses of this event. Person that doesn't have a great reputation publicly. So if you're going to make this up, why would you make her one of the key witnesses. You would probably pick somebody that people are more likely to believe than that. Now go to the next passage. I love this part. So Peter and the other disciples, so John's writing about himself in the third person. Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and he looked in the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and he went straight into the tomb He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. I love this. John, you ever notice, John thinks very highly of himself. He's a little bit arrogant at times. He, he, uh, He wants to sit next to Jesus. He wants the closest spot to Jesus. Um... He, he uh, you, you know, he's, he wants to call down fire and, and torch the Samaritans. Doesn't think that they're worthy of, of anything. And here I love that he makes sure everybody knows he was faster than Peter. Um, he outran Peter. Peter, you know, Peter's a fisherman. He's probably got a big beer belly. And so it makes sense. But the point being that John wants everybody to know that. Um, and again, when you look at the story, if, if you were trying to push forward a myth, you would probably indicate a certain certainty on your part. I'm absolutely sure of what happened. Mary's not sure. She's confused when she gets there. She doesn't know what's going on. It's very bewildering to her. So then the other guys get there, John first, of course, and uh, they corroborate her story. She's right. He's not here. You know, we're, we don't, they initially, Jesus said he would be raised up, but they must not have fully understood. And so at this point, they're a little uncertain what's going on. They don't have all the answers. There's all this detail. The, the, the linen he was wrapped in is laying there. The headdress is folded neatly over in the corner. A, a lot of detail, which I, I thought, I never thought of this before. I, I, I don't know how you read something a million times. What what was Jesus wearing when he left? I, I don't know. So I it might be that when you get resurrected, you don't have your clothes. So just consider that next time you buy $200 pair of designer jeans, you could get left behind. There's no rapture, but the jeans will stay. Uh, my point is simply, it's, it sounds to me like an eyewitness account. I think there's legitimacy in what these folks are saying in regard to what happened that day. Um, and another thing that I would add, 
women at, at that time in culture were not allowed to testify in court. Their testimony was not even accepted. You couldn't, a woman could not testify in court. Um, so again, if you were a Jew writing to other Jews, you probably wouldn't make women the key witnesses of the event because they're not credible, right? Um, the other thing I think about is Jesus on the cross, you know, say there was that moment when Jesus says himself, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's feeling that emptiness and that, that tearing. So again, there's a weakness in him at that moment that I don't think you would include if you were making this up, you would want him to be, to be dominant and victorious. He'd be like, like, uh, you know, Arnold saying, I'll be back. He, he, he wouldn't be saying, you know, why have you forsaken me? There, there was uh, a moment of weakness in him that wouldn't be perpetuated by somebody who was, who was trying to just make up a story. All right. Last thing. And Cindy, would you come or Steph or whoever's going to, um, and this part, so, so again, today was sort of a, theological thing, kind of more focused on our thinking than our hearts. But last thing is really towards our heart. And again, I go back, circle back to what, where I was in the beginning, talking about faith and believing. Um, if, for me, the essence of the whole story is that this life, there has to be, there has to be more than, than what we see. If this life is all there is, if the whole point of life is, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins, you just go out, have a good time, and it's over, that, that seems to be lacking. There, there's no value, there's no meaning, there's no depth. There's, there's, there's just, that's so shallow, so hollow. I have to believe there's more than that, and that there really is a, a life that we have eternally in Jesus that's so much greater than that. And we, can, we have that life now in, 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 in this life, and then it, we carry it with us into uh, the next life. There's more than that. So why don't you guys stand, and I want to just close and, and pray for you this morning. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Casket Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give. We'll see you next week.